It didn't take long for Casey Schmidt to put on display why uh, fans of the San Francisco Giants should be excited for him to arrive potentially in 2023. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts. And coming up on today's show, I'm really happy to say we have some games to talk about. The Giants have played two spring training games. The first one televised through the Cubs television network, which you can watch uh, these, you know, when other teams are playing the Giants and they are televising it. You can watch it if you have MLB.tv, which you have to pay for. But so anyway, that's just a little PSA there. So I did watch most of that game or some of that game. And there was a lot to take away. And the the big standout to me was the some of the tools flashed by third baseman Casey Schmidt. Uh, Blake Sable will also get to him as well, making his, you know, official Giants debut there in spring training. But for Schmidt, he made an excellent defensive play. He also made a couple of less great defensive plays. I think he made an error, which I didn't actually see. But he made an excellent defensive play, and then he hit just a mammoth home run against a guy who I think is, I think, was it Adrian Sampson? A guy who kind of figures into that major league team with the Chicago Cubs. So it wasn't some A-ball pitcher, you know, it was it was a legit pitcher, but it was kind of a, you know, not, not, it was a hittable pitch. But nonetheless, I mean, what was on display there was the power that this guy can can provide. And then defensively, that's the thing is when we're talking about spring training, I just want to be clear uh, because I never really got into this, but results in so many different ways don't matter in spring training. Wins and losses are irrelevant. And so the Giants ended up losing that game. They made, I think, six errors in that game. And so much of that, it's it would be easy to make a story out of that. But to me, it's kind of a non-story. But things that we can be looking for are, you know, defense, for example, a guy like Casey Schmidt, you don't really fluke your way into into the kind of play that he made in that game. And then also, you know, he's going to get a look at shortstop during spring training and seeing how does he handle uh, the shortstop position and then just kind of flashing some of the tools like the power that he put on that swing. You don't fluke your way into that kind of raw power. You might not be able to get into it in a game at the major league level, but clearly, you know, Casey Schmidt has some big time raw power. This guy, I mean, he cleared essentially the left field berm out, you know, in left almost over the grass to the very back of the grass. It was just an absolute monster home run by Casey Schmidt. And then the defensive play earlier in the game, uh, you know, it was a ball down the line. He had to make a diving stop in foul territory at third base and then get up and just threw a rocket over to first. And the hitter, just assumed that the ball got by Schmidt. It was actually starting to round first base as he got there and Schmidt's throw beat him and they got him. So we've said this a bunch, but the kind of long-term health and future and even fan interest 
in the San Francisco Giants is going to be tied to young players kind of breaking through and making an impact. And someone like Casey Schmidt, you know, that this is the thing, my kind of gripe with prospect rankings and all that is that they're not very accurate. And there are a lot of good players who are not like guys who are necessarily top 100 prospect list darlings. And I think of Logan Webb and the fact that he was never, I don't believe, ever appeared on anybody's top 100 anywhere. And yet the Giants, you know, they they were... It wasn't like random that he became good. They were always saying they think that he can be really good. He's just got to do this, this, and this, and then he's going to be really good. And they kept saying that, and then he did it, and then he became really good. And so Schmidt kind of reminds me of, in some ways, of that. And then also these these rankings, they kind of they like upside, but they kind of un- undervalue guys who maybe have like a, a high floor. And for Schmidt the floor is high because of the defense that he can provide. And if he can play shortstop, then, you know, at least in a pinch, then that adds even more value there. But I don't know. I'm just excited about him and the potential that he can be one of those key pieces for the San Francisco Giants. I mean, if they're having defensive problems, he's a guy who the defense probably plays at the major league level right now. And so, I don't know. It was just nice to see doesn't necessarily mean much, but, you know, flashing a couple of big tools there. And then on the other side is Blake Sable, who is really competing for a role on the major league team because he can't, unlike Schmidt, who's not even on the 40 man, so you don't even have to option him. Blake Sable can't be optioned because he's a rule five pick. So he has to make the major league team and his calling card is kind of offense. And the question is, can he handle the defensive uh, demands of the catching position, especially with the pitch clock, uh, you know, handling pitchers through that. And then with the bigger bases, narrowing the gap between the bases a little bit. And so throwing guys out even a little bit more difficult than ever. And, you know, will he be able to handle that? But offensively, it's his calling card. And so he's pretty much got a hit in spring, I would think. Not that they, again, read too much into spring stats or whatever, but, uh, you know, if he just really struggles offensively in spring, then he's probably not going to make this team. And he's already probably a long shot to make the team. But in the first game there, I mean, I'm just really impressed with the kind of swing of Blake Sable. Even the out that he made in his first at-bat hit a kind of opposite field line drive. It took a leaping catch by the third baseman to catch it. And then he hits a home run to dead center field. As a lefty bat who's a catcher, it's just kind of a rare thing. A guy who can hit and who's left-handed and who's a catcher. It's you you just don't see that very often. And so I really do like the swing of Sable. I've kind of seen some video on YouTube watching watching him take his swings in the minors, but they obviously like this guy enough to not just they didn't even take him in the Rule 5 draft. They traded for him after the Reds took him in the Rule 5 draft with the fourth, I think it was like third or fourth fourth, I believe, pick in that Rule 5 draft. And so it was a nice offensive start for Sable. Uh, Defensively, you know, some, I think there was a steal off him. And so this is why we need a month to kind of see Sable behind the plate and see if he's able to handle that. Framing wise, I thought he did actually a really good job. And Kapler said the same thing. I think Sable already looks like a good framer to me, which is impressive because, you know, catching is not his natural position. He was an outfielder who kind of converted to catching at the professional level. And so, Good job framing. The question is more about kind of throwing runners out. And 
I guess, blocking. So anyway, coming up in just a minute, we're going to turn turn our attention to a bunch of notes we got yesterday, including, how about this, Sean Manaya up like five miles an hour over where he was at this time last spring. What does it mean? How did he do it? We'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories? You've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is always to eat a little bit healthier. And with Built, you can do that because you don't have to sacrifice taste, which is always the biggest issue. Sometimes I just don't want to eat a salad, but I can reach for a Built Bar and get incredible candy bar-like flavor without having to sacrifice flavor. I'm able to get these healthy macros only in a typical bar about 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box either. You can go to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box with cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs, or you can go to Sam's Club and grab a 13-bar box with hit flavors brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. All right, as promised, we are going to get into some notes from spring training uh, over the weekend. There was a lot of them. Sean Manaya is throwing harder, a couple injury updates that are unfortunate for certain guys, so we'll get into it in just a second. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Uh, now for your second listen, check out, check out Lockdown Fantasy Baseball. Win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy draft strategies. Find Lockdown Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. So yes, Sean Manaya, you know, is a guy who has a track record of being a good pitcher. At his best, he was basically the ace of the Oakland A's as they were you know, a couple times winning close to 100 games. He was at the front of that rotation. And last year, he was like the punching bag of the National League. And so he really took a step back last year after being traded to the Padres. The Padres are a team that kind of has a reputation of not being great at developing pitchers. Just going to throw that out there. And so, and by developing, I can mean, you know, bringing in, he wasn't a free agent, but just kind of getting the most out of their pitchers whereas the San Francisco Giants kind of have the opposite reputation when it comes to pitchers they have done a fabulous job with a lot of guys I know last year with you know Di Sclafani who was hurt so it's kind of not fair to even use him as an example and Alex Wood though who pitched a lot and had an ERA over five you know there are definitely it's not a hundred percent success rate but you think of like Kevin Gosman and Drew Smiley and Carlos Rodon the first year of Di Sclafani and Wood, and then Alex Cobb last year, some of the success of Jacob Junis. They just one year after another are just having a lot of success with pitchers. And for Manaya, I mean, it reminds me a lot of what we heard about Alex Cobb last year, which is that Manaya went to this driveline facility, which is, I don't know, the Giants, I don't know if they have like a contract with driveline, but Alex Cobb did the same thing last offseason. And the reports were coming out of spring training that Cobb was up to like 97, 98 miles an hour with his fastball during spring. And Cobb, Alex Cobb had historically been a guy in the low 90s with his fastball, like a soft tosser. And for Manaya, he claims, I mean, we know he said that he was hitting 93 to 96 yesterday in his start. And he says that last year at this time, I guess, you know, first outing of the spring, he was 88 to 90 miles an hour. So we're talking 
up five to six miles an hour over where he was at this time last year. That is a big deal. And velocity is like really, really important when it comes. If you can gain a bunch of velocity, that almost always leads to improved results. And I think for Cobb, I know like the total ERA might not look that impressive when you look at it from last year, but the peripheral numbers were like top 10 in the league, you know, like, and then if you look at kind of projections, he projects to be like a top 20 starting pitcher in the game, kind of, you know, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I believe moving forward in Alex Cobb a lot. And I think for Manaya, I'm not saying, okay, now he's Alex Cobb done. But to add five, six miles an hour versus where you were at this time last year is a big deal. It is That's another thing that we can watch for in spring training is velocity. And it goes the other way. If guys are, you know, suddenly, I remember, I think it was when Madison Bumgarner joined the Diamondbacks uh, and the reports out of camp were that he was, was it, it wasn't Bumgarner. I forget who it was. It might've been Bumgarner, might not. But sometimes you see guys suddenly and it's like, oh, they're throwing 85 and it's a problem. I mean, you just can't, it, velocity, I think a lot of people want to say, oh, it's not all about just throwing hard. And that's true. You got to also know how to pitch and blah, 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 have other, you know, not just fastballs, but secondary, tertiary pitches. But I mean, these days, anyway, I could go off on a tangent about that, but you don't want to be, you don't want to have your velocity be down and to have it be up a lot is a big deal. And so that is the first of hopefully multiple promising kind of signs for Sean Manaya. Obviously, they believe in this guy. They wouldn't have signed him if they didn't. And they have a pretty darn good track record of good results from pitchers. And this is just the first positive indication we've seen. And it might, who knows, lead to a nice season for Sean Manaya down the road. So the next kind of note here is a tougher one on the injury front. And it is that Luis Gonzalez has a lower back strain and it's going to keep him out of action for four to six weeks. And so there was actually a mailbag question that we were just about to get to when we did our last mailbag episode about what's going on with Luis Gonzalez, because he doesn't get talked about a lot, but you know, he is a guy who, you know, is somewhat in the mix for the major league team he does have an option remaining, though, an option year. And so he is on the 40-man, but he can be sent down. There's a limit now on how many times per year. Is it five or six, four? Uh, he can get sent to the minors this year without penalty, essentially, to the Giants. They don't have to like expose him to waivers in order to send him down. So he never seemed likely to make the team, I think, you know, he's depth. He's one of the first lines of defense. Like if uh, Michael Conforto goes down with an injury or something, that's the kind of scenario in which you might have seen Luis Gonzalez. And so he didn't figure to start the season in the majors, but he is, you know, a solid depth piece who got quite a bit of playing time last year and did really well at the start, but then uh, faded off as things went on. And I think he he had a lower back thing last year that kind of held him back and put him on the IL at times. And so it's not great for him personally. It doesn't much change kind of the outlook for the Giants, at least if they're healthy. If a bunch of guys go down in the outfield and Gonzalez is also out, then you might feel that pain. But, you know, obviously wishing him the best and, and it's not great given that he dealt with a similar issue last year. They're saying this is a different back issue but it's like in the in the back and so to have kind of a chronic back thing coming up is not great and another injury update is that donovan walton of course who the giants obtained from seattle for prelander baroa last year is out uh he had shoulder surgery 
and he's going to be out until May. I don't. He had his sur- shoulder surgery at some point, pretty deep into last year, and so you know he's still coming back from that. Uh, Austin Slater missed. He was scratched from the first game of spring because he had what do they call it? Elbow discomfort or something. And he says it's not a problem. It's just soreness he gets every spring, kind of like a dead arm. So coming up in just a minute, we're going to revisit the Donovan Walton trade. An, an American League scout called it the worst trade of 2022 in all of baseball. And so we're going to discuss uh, whether or not we agree with that assessment in just a minute. But before we do, All right. As promised, I want to I want to rediscuss this Donovan Walton trade. I think that it gets so much attention for some reason, even though it is like essentially a minor trade. Uh, and so I also wanted to mention, by the way, that Sean Jelly put on a bunch of weight. Uh, be, you know, he's six eleven and skinny, and you know it was weird because in the major leagues last year he would come up. And like strike people out much more than he was striking people out in the minors. And he's, uh, and also his velocity was up, but he wasn't able to sustain that velocity deeper into games. Like he would have, he'd be throwing 95 in the first inning of an outing, but then it would tail down to like 93, you know, as the outing went on. And then it makes a big difference for him. And so the goal was to put on a bunch of weight to be able to sustain that velocity. And apparently he's done it and then he, and that he was able to do it in his outing yesterday. And so that's, that's, that's nice. I mean, he's, he's very much depth for this Giants team, but it's kind of nice depth to have. They've got their, they've got like seven starters who figure to be on that major league team, couple kind of moving into the pen potentially because of how deep they are. And then they've got more depth in the minors. They've got a bunch of guys, Kyle Harrison in that mix, Sean Jelly in that mix, and, you know, Tristan Beck in that mix, who, you know, he started the first game of the spring for the Giants, Keaton Wynn in that mix. So they've just got a lot of guys who, you know, so much starting depth, I think plenty to probably get them through a season, it looks like to me. But getting to the Donovan Walton thing. So basically my gripe with this, so it was an American League scout who, who, you know, if you go on NBC Sports Bay Area, uh, there's this story about how an American League scout roasts uh, Giants for making worst trade of 2022. And the uh, quote here from the quote, the excuse me, the quote here from the story, which is they're taking from the Seattle Times, is quote, Prelander Baroa for Donnie Walton might have been the worst trade of 2022, and it might not be close. And okay, that's inflammatory. It's just, it's like not a major trade. And so it's hard for me to say it's the worst trade of 2022. But sure, let's entertain that possibility. My issue with this kind of stuff, and we see it a lot, Giants people, I know there are some of you listening who probably really agree with this. And to me, what's wrong about this is that we're comparing Donovan Walton's major league numbers and performance to Prelander Baroa's minor league performance and numbers. He's never pitched in the major leagues and we're acting as though, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me because if you look at Donovan Walton, his minor league numbers were also good. And so I just don't get it. And actually the projections for Donovan Walton are good, better than the projections, you know, Donovan Walton, according to the zips projection system, uh, has him, it has him as an above average bat a 106 weighted runs created plus 100 is average 261 average 331 on base 391 slugging 
uh, with above average defense. I mean, this is a guy who who's won a minor league gold glove. I'm not saying I'm super optimistic about his future, but I am saying he had like a career on base percentage in the minors of like 375. So his minor league performance was also good as it has been Prelander Baroas. And for Baroa, you know, there's serious reliever risk is from what I understand. And he has a very hard time commanding the strike zone. Like I'm looking at his numbers. He was traded to the Mariners here. And, you know, in, in high A with Seattle, he had a 15% walk rate, a whopping 37.7% strikeout rate. And that's what has people excited in Seattle and doom and gloom in San Francisco, I guess. But so then he goes to double A. And these are starting pitching stats. He's making starts still in the minors. But in AA, his walk rate was 17% and the the strikeout rate 35.6%. And if you look at projections, let's just use zips because we just looked at zips for Walton. It's got Baroa, you know, it's projecting him as a starter, which doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know... The, the numbers change if you're a starter or you're a reliever. And so as a starter, it's a kind of tougher to be good, I guess is what I'm saying. And But, you know, the projection here is for, yes, a nice 24.8% strikeout rate, which is not great. It's just a little above average. And a walk rate of 13.6%, which is just too high. League average, I don't know, 7 8%. And so roughly double the league average walk rate. And the ERA projection, 4.49. FIT projection, 4.60. And so, look, I'm not rooting against Prelander Baroa. I hope he has success. But to call it, I mean, that's fine. If you want to have your inflammatory comments, that's fine. But I just don't understand how we can compare Walton's major league performance and say that's bad and then look at Prelander Baroa's minor league performance and say that's good and then say it's horrible trade because Walton's minor league numbers were also good. And so, I don't know. I mean... I also just think relieve guys who walk like 15% of batters, they have a hard time staying in the majors. And so we'll see if he can find his command. But I mean, if you're, if you're ultimately looking at a reliever who gets strikeouts, but also just can't find the zone, then those guys, those guys are kind of a dime a dozen in my opinion. So we'll see. I'm not, I'm not a scout and I also am not like heavily into kind of looking deep into minor league systems across the majors. And so I'll, I'll tip my hat to the scout and say, maybe they believe Prelander Baroa can be something really, really impactful at the major league level. But to me, it just kind of looks more like a reliever with command issues who can strike people out, but you find those guys a lot. And I don't know, the giants have plenty of their own intriguing relievers i just i don't know how much of a difference it would make to have baroa still in their system so anyway that is all the time we have for today thanks again for making locked on giants your first listen every day now make your second listen locked on fantasy baseball like i said earlier anyway we will be back tomorrow five days a week we are with the show We'll, get, we'll be looking at the latest from spring training games pretty much every day. The Giants in action again today. We've also got a bunch more mailbag questions to get to left over from last week. So I can't wait to be with you again all throughout the rest of the week. Thanks again for listening today. You are now Locked on Giants.